You probably already knew this when you did a search for the Westchester Church podcast, like you literally just did. But just in case you stumbled upon Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones three seconds ago while doing that and got zapped by a mystical memory neuralizer and it completely eradicated the memory of you ever searching for it, you're listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. Jesus makes his final transition in this great sermon. We began looking at the Beatitudes as we saw Jesus speak about what it looks like for anyone who follows him, what their character is to look like. After that, we saw what a follower's influence is, as Jesus says that, that you are the salt and that you are the light of this world. After that, Jesus spends most of his time in this sermon speaking about this is what your religious convention has always said and done, but now I say to you that we need to transcend this in this way and in that way and in that way. After this, he speaks about the discipline of a follower of his, how when we pray and fast and give to the poor, that we are to do so in order to, to honor an audience of one. After this, he speaks about a follower's ambition, how our treasures are to be in heaven rather than in this world. After that, he speaks about what it looks like for, for a follower to actually trust in him. Three different times he says it again and again, do not worry, do not worry, and do not worry. And then what we saw most recently is how he says, how he explains a follower's relationships and how we are not to be judgmental people, but rather that we are to actually honor the other person as we would like to be treated. And yet now Jesus comes to the most important part of his message. Really, the whole body of his sermon is now over. But now Jesus gets to the most important part, really, of any message itself. And that is now Jesus gets to his call to action. You see, it's one thing to, to hear a message, but, but all of this is in vain unless we actually experiment with it now in the days ahead. And that we actually embody what the text itself is. And so now Jesus begins to actually call his listeners to a very decisive choice and decision. And as we're going to see starting in verse 13 this morning in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' words begin taking on a very haunting quality now. As Jesus begins using very conditional language in ways that is especially of a polarizing nature. Matthew chapter 7, and we continue in verse 13 this morning, as, as Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gates. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And Jesus says that there are few who find it. And now, contrary to what we have long since heard, Jesus is not the only way. Jesus is not the only way that there is. The Christian lifestyle is not the only lifestyle that can be lived or followed in this life. Now, Jesus has already spoken about two very different kinds of righteousness as he says, do not be self-righteous like the scribes and the Pharisees, but rather truly be righteous in the eyes of God. 
He spoke about true or two very contrasting kinds, kinds of treasures, treasures of earth and treasures of heaven. And he said that you can only have one master. Either you will hate the one or you will love the other. And now Jesus begins speaking about two very different kinds of gates, two very, very different destinies and ways of life. And, and notice how in the text, how Jesus refers to it, how he describes it is, on this one road, in this one gate, it's very wide and it's very broad. This is a way of life that is very easy and stress-free. It's very comfortable and convenient and carefree. This is a lifestyle that is revolving always around one's very own pleasures and desires, where one's own personal opinions reign supreme. This is a road where, where to walk down this, this avenue is to see people drunken with self-gratification. You can hear people shrieking in laughter from their self-indulgence. This way of life where you just do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. See, as Jesus speaks about a wide and a broad road and a very, very wide gate, this is, this is that party that every single person on campus desperately wants to be seen at. This is the party where your reputation is either going to either stand or it's going to fall based on whether or not you were seen in this party. Everything in the world is true as long as it happens to be true in your eyes. And I mean, in our own day and age, we have been confronted with, with all kinds of philosophies, haven't we? Phrases like, if it feels good, do it. Where everybody's doing it. I don't, I don't know if you even remember, but for a long time I was hearing, well, once upon a time, this was not exactly acceptable, but hey, it's the 90s. It's the 90s, so we need to get with the times and, and do just like everybody else is doing. It's really weird if you, you make that claim now. Well, hey, it, it, you know, it's the 90s now, so you know, we need to get with it. Phrases like, it's my life, where what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, where, where when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? And yet in Old Testament scripture, though, at the root of all of this was really a summary of it, where it explains a time in history where every man was doing whatever was right in their own eyes. This is that road that Jesus is speaking about right here. And notice how Jesus says that, that if you continue on this road, that its destination is destruction. That if you continue marching on this road, eventually it is headed straight for a cliff. And that once you, you fall off of that cliff, you will never stop plummeting. It's so high up. That even though you are at a party of the century, there are toxic fumes being clouded in through the vents that, that, that slowly but surely are making their, their, their way inside the room. And it's just a matter of time before everybody hits the ground. And what Jesus says really concerned me and it should concern every one of you because he says many, many, many people choose this route. And there are a lot of the people who, who walk on this road who regularly attend church functions, 
Right now, at this very moment in time, there, there are ministers and preachers pounding pulpits all over our, our world who, who secretly behind closed doors are marching up and down this road Jesus speaks about. And yet especially tragic, though, is that most of the people who, who have ever lived and died will have lived and died on, on this road and only on this road. And I find that very sad. Very alarming because I'm just as human as anybody else is. And yet really what is at the core of this is our human weakness in succumbing to group pressure and into a pressure of conformity. I'm sure that you remember a number of years ago on, on the show Candid Camera, there, there had been um, a social experiment inside an elevator about, okay, what is the most outlandish thing possible that we can get complete strangers to, to do? Here's a candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff. We have an elite. Candid and uh, this man has apparently been in I mean, it's just unbelievable how weak we are to wanting to look just like everybody else, to where we just cannot be seen standing all alone doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing. I mean, it's just something in us as human beings does not want to be in that situation. And yet there are people still taking that elevator ride more than 60 years later every single moment of the day in, in this world. And there are all kinds of impulses and desires swirling around us that, that are, are calling us, wooing us to once again hop aboard that elevator and to ride it for the rest of our lives. C.S. Lewis had, had once reminisced on his life and he remembers a period in his life when, when he walked away from God for, for a number of years in his youth. And what he says about this is, oh, the relief of it, where there was nothing to be obeyed and nothing to be believed except whatever had been comforting or exciting to me. He says that there is a certain comfort in believing that the highest authority to which we might ever be answerable to is to our own subjective moral consciousness. And Scripture says that there is a way which, which seems right to a man. It looks right to them and it feels right to them, but it says that, that its destination is to destruction. I wish that Jesus were the only way in this world, but it's not true. Jesus is not the only way. Christianity is not the only lifestyle that there is, but, but what we do know 
is that Jesus Christ is the only way to true life, though. There is a scene in Gethsemane, in John's account, where it says about how as they arrive and as they say, who do you seek? And they say, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. How it says that, that how Jesus responds is, I am he. And I mean, this looks like just any ordinary passage, okay? He said, I am Jesus. I mean, I am he, so what? Well, what's very interesting about this is that in the very next verse, it says that as Jesus says, I am he, that everybody who came to arrest him just steps back and their knees buckle and they hit the ground like this. I mean, everybody who came to arrest him all at once. And a lot of people are going to, of course, claim, well, it was midnight, it was dark, and people got spooked or whatever. And yet the way that I read this, though, is that there was just something about that man, God in the flesh, saying these words this way. What words? I am. I am he. I mean, who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. We remember how earlier on in the Gospel of John, how Jesus is letting his apostles know that it's just a matter of time before he goes away. And, and one of his apostles says, Lord, where are you going? How can we get there to also be with you again? And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way. I am truth itself. And I am the, the very embodiment of life itself. And then he says, no man comes to the Father except through me. And it supports what he also said in the Gospel of John earlier on, where he says, I am the door. That I am the very door itself into life. That, that if anybody enters through me, he will be saved. And he's going to go out and he's going to find his pasture. You see, Jesus is the only way to true life and to, to true salvation and to true peace and joy. And yet I think a lot of times what our handicap is, though, as we read a passage like this, is that we look at it and we say, okay, all Jesus means by this is some people are going to go to heaven and some people are going to go to hell. And yet if there is one thing that we have learned in this year about the very spirit of the Sermon on the Mount itself, as well as about Jesus' ministry upon this earth, is that what Jesus emphasized more than, than anything at all was the idea of the kingdom of heaven alive inside of us right now in the lives that we're living. What Jesus is speaking about and what he is inviting us and calling us to this morning in the text is a people who are mentally psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually living for Jesus Christ every day of the week. What he would say to us here this morning, I believe, is don't just go to church, but have a Sermon on the Mount kind of Christianity. That if you want to have peace in a world of malice, if you want to love every single person that you lay your eyes on today, if you want to, to see and to embody heaven, even now on the face of this earth, follow me through this gate. Follow me through this very unpopular road. See, it's not really a question of whether or not man 
is a worshiper. People, every single person on the face of this earth right now is a born worshiper, worshiping something right now. But really what the question is, is what will a person worship? And what Jesus once again is mirroring, as he's already expressed earlier, that no man can serve two masters, once again what he's saying to us is this, choose your object of worship. Decide who you will will award your allegiance to in the way that you live. And yet the problem with this, though, is, is that staying on this road Jesus speaks about of life, that is easier said than it is done, right? There is a courtyard in, in Ocala, Florida, where I would go all the time. It was right next door to, to a Japanese restaurant Amanda and I would, would, would um, go to all the time and frequent. And every time that I passed by that courtyard, I would always stop and just stare at it. Because every time that I laid eyes on it, I could just hear the words of Jesus enter through the narrow gate. Narrow is the way that, that leads to life. And I just look at this still to this day, and I just think, yes, this, this is what Jesus is speaking about right here. I mean, there is one road that is very easy and very popular and convenient. But this is a road that is very cramped. This is a road that, that is very uncomfortable and unpopular, where it's not about us all the time. This is a road that has mud and thorns and scorpions, poisonous snakes, and rabid wolves all around us. See, I found it very interesting what the meaning of this word narrow was in the original Greek language. What it means is persecution. What it means is to press hard or to have affliction. And so once again, as Jesus started saying in the Beatitudes, he's saying persecution is coming your way. People are going to be opposed to the lifestyle that you're living. They're going to make you, you out to be, be very crazy and very strange. But no matter what, no matter how hard your affliction is going to be, press on. Press on. This is a gate that is so tiny and a road that is so minuscule that you, you almost have to go out of your way to even notice that it's there. It's so small that if you blink for even one second, you, you probably missed it. You see, this in so many ways is the road less taken. And that is true for all kinds of reasons. As Jesus explains what, what he meant in, in a parable that he told, he says, how those on the rocky soil, that, that they are those who when they hear, that they, they receive the word with joy. And yet sadly and tragically, these have no firm root. That How they believe for a while, but in time of temptation, they fall away. Likewise, he says how the seed which also fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, but as they start going on their way, they begin being choked with, with worries and with riches and with the pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity, Jesus says. And as it is with, with all of those, those expressions I named off a moment ago, there are all kinds of melodies in our world that are enticing us to get back on that, that wide and popular road. I remember in the 90s when, 
when there had been a song on the radio and it had a hook that, that just kept repeating itself in the chorus line, I'm free to do what I want any old time. I don't know um, if you remember that song, but it just, just keeps repeating that on loop. I'm free to do what I want any old time. I've heard other songs like, I want to talk about me, want to talk about my, want to talk about number one, oh me, my. We have all seen commercials that had a jingle, have it your way, have it your way, have it your way. And I mean, regardless of what the context of those songs were, those kind of messages have a way of seeping into our subconscious and thinking, wait a minute, I'm a 21st century American, that I'm entitled to always have it my way whenever I want to have it. And yet what is the theme song of this other road and of this other route which Jesus speaks about that leads to life? It's not a very popular song, is it? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. That's a very unpopular song, isn't it? It's a very hard thing to actually live out in our lives when we want to have everything go our way. I mean, this is very serious stuff, isn't it? And I mean, if our philosophy of what the Christian life is, is one or two hours, one day a week, then we are in dire need of reevaluating which road that we are walking on this morning. And that's because Jesus says, few find this life. Very few people remain on this road and actually die having walked on this road until the very end. Earlier on in this series, we had seen a man who we call the rich young ruler, how he walks away from Jesus grieving because his treasures were on this earth. And what Jesus says and what, what he announces to everyone within earshot as he walks away from him, he says, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. He says that it's so hard that that it's easier for a camel, this enormous animal, to walk through the eye of this tiny microscopic needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. And we're once again reminded that as 21st century Americans, we are the rich young ruler. Jesus is saying how hard it is for you and I. And it caused his apostles to, to say, well, Jesus, if that's true, if, if what you just said is true, then who can be saved, for crying out loud? But what he said should be of encouragement to all of us, where, where he goes, that, that with man, it's impossible. But if it is God's power and God's blood that is covering us, though, anything is possible at that point for us. And so what you and I need to do this morning, as well as in all of the rest of our days ahead, is we need to look very, very closely at the crowds which are surrounding us. 
And that's because, as we see in the Word of God, with really very few exceptions, whenever we see a large majority crowd, this almost always is representative of that wide road Jesus speaks about, headed for destruction. Where it's almost always a very microscopic minority who are the ones who are walking with God. I think about Noah, how he gets his family in the ark and and the door closes, as we know, and the rains come down. And in this horrible flood that, that have come upon the earth, There were just eight people who had lived afterwards. Everybody else were all those people who were laughing for over a hundred years as Noah built that ark. Just eight people and all the rest had perished. And yet we have that example though of Noah and his family taking the road less traveled. And what we see is that it is biblical not to follow the crowd. God, soon after, he makes a promise to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, if there are just ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will spare the city. And yet, sadly, there were not ten righteous people found, even in this big city. But but as Sodom and Gomorrah goes down, only one man and a handful of his relatives walk out of it. Lot and his family showed us that they took the road less traveled. It is biblical not to follow the crowd. I think about Elijah as he stands against 450 prophets of the false god Baal. One man of God, 450 prophets of Baal. And yet at the end, only one man stands. Elijah took the road less traveled. It is biblical not to follow the crowd. King Nebuchadnezzar erects a golden statue 90 feet in the air of himself And he legislates an edict and he says that that whenever you guys hear the music, you are then to to bow down and to worship this this huge golden statue of me. And sure enough, there is one day which which soon comes along and and music hits the air and, and everybody hits the ground in worship of this statue. That is except for just three Jewish teenagers. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who say that we don't care if you throw us into the fiery furnace, even if God himself cannot save us from from your flames. We will not bow down to this golden image. We worship God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took the road less traveled. It's biblical not to follow the crowd. And as we read about a man whose name is Zacchaeus. What we read about him in Luke, it says how Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but but he was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Now again, it's, it's another passage where it looks ordinary to us, but when we really zoom in, it's got radioactivity in it. A lot of people are going to say, well, he couldn't see who Jesus was because he was short and because a lot of people were there, which is true. But this passage also can be a metaphor about this exact fact that that we need to choose that road which, which is very unpopular and less traveled. Because a lot of times, a lot of people are trying to see who Jesus is, but they are unable to, notice, because of the crowd. 
because of the crowd. Because they would rather look just like everybody else in the world, no matter how outlandish that it looks. A lot of people reject Jesus because of the crowd. And yet the prime example of this, though, are the Israelites. Where God says to them in the book of Exodus chapter 23, do not follow the masses in doing what is evil. Don't be like all the other nations. And so what does Israel do? God, give us a king so that we can be just like everybody else. We're tired of having you as a king and being the only nation in the world who who does not have a king. And so give us a king so that we can be just like all the other nations. And when they have a human king over them, next thing you know, they start bringing in all of these, these idols from the outside nations. And a time comes where you can look at Israel and there is no discernible difference between Israel and Ammon or between Israel and the Philistines. And yet now this morning, God is speaking to us in our text. As we look at our culture and all of the gods that that we have become so infatuated with in our culture, I can almost hear Jesus saying to us this morning, take the road less traveled. It is biblical, it is Christ-like not to follow the crowd. And to go in the polar opposite direction as quickly as you can. And you know, this is why I will never again walk into a church gathering with animosity towards anybody else, as I have in the past. It's why we need to completely eradicate all of our rivalries which can spring up in a church from time to time. The tension that we have. Because what we are as the church is is that we are to be marching together hand in hand in our fight against sin. That we are to continue standing with Jesus as we march to our promised land, no matter how excruciating this, this road might become. And so in closing here this morning, we we have a choice to make, don't we? I mean, every day of the week, we make all kinds of choices, whether we even know that we're making them or not. But what I love about this choice is that this is not just another lose-lose scenario. I mean, I can only speak for, for my own self, but with very few exceptions, any time that I've ever gone to a ballot box... It felt like I was choosing between a stroke or a heart attack. I mean, I don't have any horse in that race. Never have, never will. As others have said, well, you just have to choose the lesser of two evils. But, but that is not true with these roads Jesus is speaking about. It's not easy, but, but it leads to life, Jesus says. It reminds me a lot of what we see in this picture right here where a long time ago in Nazi Germany, there are all these people who are saluting Adolf Hitler. And yet at one point, there was a person who looked very closely at this picture, and when they zoomed in, this is what what they had seen. I mean, out of all of the thousands of these people, there's only one brave and courageous soul who's got his arms folded in defiance of the Third Reich like this. He says, I don't care what you do to me. I will not bow down before that 90-foot golden statue. You will never see me do one of these. And as I look at this, this man, I am so inspired to apply this to the Christian life. 
We're going to see it when we walk out of these, these doors. We're going to hear it as we watch our televisions later on tonight. But this is what Jesus is calling us to right here. Be willing to be different. Be willing to go against the masses as, as they rush headfirst into doing what is evil. And it's what Joshua says and there in the book of Joshua as he says, as his farewell address and he speaks about all of the false gods, he says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river and in Egypt and now serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then he says, rather famously, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Either the gods which your forefathers had served or the living God himself. And so I need to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself this morning, what road have I been walking down lately in my life? I mean, let's, let's really answer this candidly and honestly in the eyes of God. Has my life been what Jesus is describing as he speaks about the road that is leading towards life? Or, or is what he's speaking about death and destruction more a fitting description of the way and, and that road that I've been living on? And then lastly, who am I conforming to? Am I conforming to who I used to be when I walked down that highway to destruction? Or am I being conformed slowly but surely into the image of Jesus Christ himself. And so brothers and sisters, what we need to do is, as I extend the gospel invitation is, is to choose for yourself this day. Am I going to, to go on the difficult route? Or do I want the easy one? Do I want to live for Jesus or do I want to just live for me? Do I want to choose death? Or do I want life in heaven as well as in this earth? Jesus says, enter through the narrow gates. Even though the gate is small and the way is narrow, Jesus says, it leads to life.